This is my co-host, Q. Hello, hello. Uh, today we're doing part four of the Guide to Maladaptive Daydreaming, The Void. And we're talking about that with Michael, currently a college student in Virginia, but he is from Brazil. Yeah, we have a ton of Brazilian members on the Discord, too. We were just talking about that. There's like a, a weird amount of Brazilians. <laughs> okay, like I just I, I, I was, I was about to, I was about to say if y'all like Brazilians come to the Discord, but I, now you yeah, got yeah. They got crazy pizza. That's hey, a man. thing. Right? Is oh, that yeah, that's I, a I thing? Love, it is. I love the pizza. Yeah, it's not or is that it's not Brazilians that are crazy. It's just that Americans don't know how to do pizza. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> but like that's all right, all right. hold on now. Hold, so, hold It's so good. It's just like well, the actual pizza, if you actually look it up, there was one time I was eating cheese pizza and I added corn on it. And all my American friends were like, why are you doing that? You're a monster. Mm -hmm. So for you uh, pizza-loving Brazilians and everybody else out there, part four of the void for Horatia's Guide to Maladaptive Daydreaming. Yes, so. yes. And I would say, like, oh, go back and listen to all the other parts, but you really don't have to. You can take these piecemeal. <laughs> if you miss the first three, don't worry about it. Dimmer will not chill for this podcast, but I will. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe <laughs> on all three previous parts that we did on Horatio's Guide to Maladaptive Daydreaming. It's just, it's a lot of, this is a five-part series, and I feel like that's a lot for someone to follow along. So I just want to reassure everybody out there, like, if you missed one, no big deal. It's fine. But if you want to do part four alone, continue Yeah, if listening. you loved us, though, you would go back and listen. If you loved saying. us, yeah, if you really <laughs> like the podcast, feel free to listen to it. And if you've already listened to it, do so again. Feel free. But when going over when going over the void, Horatia starts uh, with a small poem. Uh, would you like to read it, or would you like my, me to read it? Because I'm not I'm not exactly good at re reading poems. I'm not a poem guy. I, I I don't. Yeah. Okay. Wake, butterfly. It's late, and we've miles to go together. Mm -hmm. By Basho. 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 Yeah, it reminds me of another poem. <laughs> when I read this, it actually reminds me of two poems. I like poetry, by the way. Mm. But um, yeah, no, there's, what is it? The one, on the one-ton temple bell, a moon moth folded into sleep, sits still. That's, that's the poem it reminded me of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's it, that's the whole poem. Now, that's how she starts. Uh, and this part, would you? This part's larger than the uh, part three, wouldn't you say? This one's a little bit more significant. This Inside. one, yeah, this one's a lot longer, which is weird because I think I actually have less to say about it. Mm -hmm. I feel like part of the reason why is also because she has been doing in this chapter a lot of what she did before. So, yeah, yeah I feel like that—that's kind of why. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to be repeating myself a ton. And I, I feel like, you know, the major things I have to say about this part are things I've already covered in like mm -hmm. the first three. So I'm going to try to avoid just like restating all that. <laughs> I'm going to try, but. Well, since I, I seem to have been the, uh, the, the guy who has been really nitpicky about how it has been written and how it has been formatted, I will say the fact that she, uh, she actually partitions it out into well i guess four parts really but uh an introduction 
Um, and then she uses headers. The Void, Breaking Through Numbness, uh, and then Relapse, with a question mark, of course. Relapse. Uh, and I did like that quite a bit. Um, I, I like this presentation a lot, the way she ended up yeah. partitioning it out. Um, so I guess if we went through the intro real quick, if you don't have much to say about it, I know that I just liked it. It, I, it seemed like a couple repeating things. Uh, she repeated herself a little bit when she um, mentioned like weaning off gradually or going cold turkey, which is how she opens. Um, the physical cessation of engaging in MD is a prerequisite for stopping it. Yeah, so that part, so <laughs> um, this opening paragraph is, is actually one that I, I have like had to, I was like, damn, is that where I got the idea? Because um, this is something I tell people to do. Um, the physical cessation of, uh, sorry. <laughs> physical cessation of engaging in MD is a prerequisite for stopping it. Force yourself to stop daydreaming for a certain period of time. Not to stop MD altogether, but to release and identify underlying toxic emotions. And, and that's something that I tell people to do too. Like if you want to know if you have MD, try to stop daydreaming just for a couple of days you're not the point is to fail um mm -hmm. so that you can see what's hiding underneath it so that you can get clues about what the root cause might be from from you know you know what bubbles up from underneath the the maladaptive daydreaming if it's anxiety listlessness depression you know something like that but you can't see that while you're daydreaming so you just ha you have to stop for a little bit and see what happens mm -hmm. and not just the emotional but sometimes sometimes the physical as well being off of it yeah. for too long will end up would you say it like starts the brain fog or it just continues it gets worse um it's different for different people but you will have physical as well as emotional changes when trying to wean off of it so be careful of course um, yeah is that something but... you've ever tried to do marco is like like she's talking about, like stop it for a bit to see what's under it. Okay, so basically, I have been kind of forced to not do it, um, and that's pretty much when I realized that it was something that was like abnormal. Because a lot of times I caught myself like going to friends' house, and uh, okay, I could like stay talking to them for a while, but if there was a time in the day that I hadn't daydreamed yet, I would go to like a separate room and that was just like daydream for like 15 minutes so it's definitely something i struggle with like just like i daydream every day so for me it's something that like even like just moving now to college uh my first day was very kind of like stressful and very emotional and uh, you know i didn't daydream that day the second day i remember feeling so much anxiety and I felt like just so emotional about everything and I couldn't daydream. It was something that, that, that just made me realize that if I stop daydreaming, I have a really hard time dealing with it, you know, because it's not, I feel like daydreaming for me is such a big uh, part that things I feel like sometimes are just too hard to reach or that I feel like it's just, um, it's just so much easier to just daydream it all because I have control of the situation. I have control over what I'm seeing. And that is a big struggle for me just when I, that was a big struggle when I just got to college because I had a 
an expectation of a lot of things. And I just had to like, because I couldn't daydream the first few, uh, few days, I had to face reality. You know, I was actually planning to go to another college uh, in which I had already talked to my suitmates and I was so excited to meet them, but I had to make a very adult, cho adult choice and make the decision to come to another college because it was cheaper. And uh, it's just, it's not the same experience I think I would be having at the other college. And I was forced to not daydream. For some reason, I just couldn't. I just, and that's when I, I just had to face reality and realize how much um, daydreaming, daydreaming and like, um, like too much can be, um, just like sometimes I talked about that on email. If you guys don't know, I'm also happy. Um, the person who uh, had that email sent you to the parallel lives and which was written in one of the episodes, you should check it out. Yeah. Um, oh God. Which episode was it? I can't remember now. What, but yeah, it was a couple episodes back. We re we read it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, it was the name of the episode, uh, is realizing it was empty. That's the name of the episode. That's what um, it was. Mm -hmm. Yes. But pretty much, um, yeah, that's pretty much how I realized that MD is a serious thing for me. And, and pretty much what Arisha uh, talks about here gives me almost like anxiety of something that I read because she treats it very seriously. And as I read through this, the way she just doesn't say anything good about MD or anything like that, and she just wants you to completely stop it, makes uh, me like very worried because I know that this is something that I have, that I struggle with like stopping it and everything. But I, what, what I also realize is that because a lot of times I daydream because I daydream about myself and all like things that I wish uh, were happening, but it's still like not like, I'm not the kind of daydreamer that like would think of like different characters, for example. It's usually myself. Sometimes it might be like a different version of me, but it's usually me. And I have, I always get myself having this hard time with like facing reality, you know, just like understanding that when I daydream, it's all there and it feels like so fun. But then I look around and it's just, I have to face it and it hurts. Sometimes it hurts, you know, and I feel that's pretty much why I just keep going back to it. We've talked several times in the past about maladaptive daydreaming being a behavioral addiction. Um, and one, know that you're not alone. We're, you know, we're all here for you. We, we all have dealt with it. We're all on the same path, the same journey. Um, and it hurts. It, it's, it's rough going through life, you know, going through it in the same way that one might take a smoke break, like 15 minutes to take a smoke break. You know, we might do a daydreaming break. Um, but, you know, reading through this, uh, and, you know, reading through a lot of other, uh, daydreaming uh, maladaptive daydreaming you know talk you know talks anecdotes things like that you know it's it's scary uh, but there's people out yes. there for you and you know you're not alone i had noticed too um what you just said that uh that this this uh this series can be a little scary for people because she is like in the first three parts she she very much comes across as, as if she's she's like you, you have to stop daydreaming completely like yesterday get to work and just and quit throw it away but and so this this opening paragraph kind of took me off guard because because 
that's not what she's saying here. She's saying just stop for a minute to see what's underneath and then you can resolve that and the MD will resolve. And I can't tell if she's like walking it back or just elaborating on what she actually meant. There's parts of this where I was like, yeah, she she is dialing back a lot of what a lot of the uh, the forward momentum, which I think is good because if you if you keep pushing and pushing and pushing really 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 hard, it gets like overwhelming. But there were times here where she just sort of like is way less uh, she's well well it's way less harsh. Yeah, I feel like I feel like she's definitely here in this capture just talking to me a lot of like really different ways that you can really just analyze how they how daydreaming in excess is like affecting your life but i feel like the goal is still the same mm-hmm. like actually the last sentence it says uh break the disassociation of the self and md is gone so like she's still the goal is to have md as something that's not like occurring on your life anymore which um I feel like if it's up to if that's healthy or unhealthy, I feel like that's really up to to the person that is a mother after daydreaming because I feel like people have different ways to think about their MD. Some people um, don't really want to have it, and some people just never will like to like not have like not have day like daydreamings. You know, I feel like it it, it can be healthy, and it, it it's not like you just need to learn. Because that's what I've been working with my therapist. Um, and I, I have a hard time with this because my therapist actually, um, she's very like strict when it comes to like uh, uh, trading my MD or talking through it because she doesn't have enough data to do it. So uh, what she's working with me is if it's really just like trying to, because my MDs are so like specific to my life, is to actually try to like materialize these things. Just put it, out there make the dream real you know because my my dreams are things that might might be able i might be able to reach some of them some of them are not uh, and i just think it's like very interesting how it, it, you can play, call yourself uh this basically daydreaming and sometimes you don't even realize that that is basically saying something that you're not like you're not acknowledging about yourself. A lot of times I would daydream about things that would make me realize things about my personality or the way that I uh, want to be perceived by other people, you know? So that is something that I, I just think it's very interesting and in how much like you daydreams can like tell about yourself. And I think that's for every Maldato daydream because at the end of the day, it's your mind. Your mind's creating all of that. So I definitely feel like one thing that she does here that I think it's really interesting is just basically ask people to look into it and just analyze in their daydream and just really see why it's occurring. And I think that every month after daydream might uh, really find really cool things about them and very interesting facts when it comes to like analyzing the daydreams or why they wish to have what they had when they were that's a daydreaming. I I don't know. I like I half agree. Like all this comes from your mind and there are things that you can definitely find out about yourself. And mm-hmm. and maybe even like where where your 
figure out how to resolve your issues and, and stuff through noticing like what themes and stuff come up. But I just, honestly, for myself, I threw that all out the window a long time ago. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to sit here and pick apart the themes and, you know, get to the root, you know, I like, yeah. I don't know. Cause I feel like the root is so far removed from who I am now that it's, it almost doesn't matter. I was just going to mention that I took my maladaptive daydreaming like like i came at it from a different direction right rather than look at what my daydreamings meant to me and like what they were actually about um i tried to like very i've tried to find the cause of why i even started in the first place coming from the outside and the what uh erasia mentions uh once she begins the void after the initial paragraph it goes through the void and she mentions in the like the first paragraph of the void um when you try to put an end to this madness the one thing usually stands in your way uh, which is emotional bluntness inability to commit connect to yourself and consequently to the real world and she mentions that um this sort of detachment isn't a product of maladaptive daydreaming the numbness was already there and maladaptive daydreaming was your way of dealing with it uh i agree with the first part but not with the second i agree with what gets in the way um, or sorry, I that's a lie. Uh, I agree with the I agree with the detachment already being there, and your maladaptive daydreaming being a way of dealing with it. Um, for me, that emotional bluntness, that inability to connect, wasn't the biggest problem or the biggest hurdle I I came across when attempting to deal with my maladaptive daydreaming. Before we segue, is that I found like there's value in looking into your daydreams and like finding like what you want from them. Uh, but since there's different ways of looking at it and different ways you can begin your journey and like you know go through your journey of trying to minimize your daydreams, I just chose a different one. Um, for those of you out there in the audience, uh, you could go uh, using you could choose uh, to look at your daydreams like Michael did. Or you can choose to look at the outside, like what Horatia says, or the, how I ended up doing it. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. Yeah, yeah. I think we we know which way one she's favoring. I just when I looked at this, I don't want to say it's it's not it's not that it's a wrong way. It's not a way that I disagree with. It's um it's a way that I feel is irrelevant to me specifically, and maybe to other people who are like me. I um because it's. Yeah, it just started so young. Like, was that numbness in me as a four-year-old? Really? That's what you're going to tell me? Like, that's that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. The thing I also don't like, I don't like how she basically asks you to be angry at the whole situation. You know, I don't think, I, I, can't, I do understand that anger is a feeling and it's valid. But the way she just asks you to, like, get angry at this and like to change the situation. I just don't think it's healthy to do it like that. Yeah, that was the thing I was gonna bring up too, cause she does it more than once. Like anger, if I had to pick one like word to describe like the theme of this, this chapter, it would be anger. And, and I understand that anger, anger is what anger is and you know, there's no reason to vilify or demonize our own feelings. You know, um, the anger can be constructive and good and helpful. And, you know, and it's, it's something you, you need to look at and, and deal with. And, 
you know, used constructively. But I just don't, I really don't feel like you have to. <laughs> like, I don't think there's any reason to get angry with yourself. I am angry enough at everybody else already. I don't need to be angry at my mouth after daydreaming too. That's too much energy. That yeah. is way too much energy. Your motivation to get better does not need to come from rock bottom. It doesn't need to come from ne a negative motivation. If you're if you're the type of person who gets to doing things when you get angry, then by all means, use anger to your benefit. Uh, I am I I am not. <laughs> that is not me. <laughs> I cannot do that. Uh, that I, I I will leave it to to one of our audience members, who I'm sure there's one, there at least several of you in the audience who are who do better when they're angry. It gets you in the mood to do things, but I that is not me. <laughs> Unfortunately, I do not uh, get myself. I don't get more motivated the angrier I am. Am and I believe like Erasia, that's sort of what she's trying to push for. Um, and there are people who who do, but not me. <laughs> I was not. I did not sympathize with it. For sure. Holy cow, man. Yeah, I think it, it can definitely be dangerous. There's actually a spot where she says, seek situations that make you care about something other than your fantasy, even for just 10 seconds, whether it's destructive or beautiful. No, <laughs> no. Not, do, do not seek out wanna... destructive things. Oh, God, I didn't even want to uh, mention that. Oh, that, that <laughs> yeah. I read that and I was like, mm. You know, that's a lot of things that I don't think is good to hear. It can lead to because here's the thing, right? Is you you if you start searching for destructive behaviors, like in destructive things, it it will eat you alive, unfortunately. Um, and the consequences of searching these destructive behaviors and things out is that it tends to create a, a negative feedback loop. Um, what I would advocate for is simply getting yourself to go out and look to be better, not to search for destructive things overall, because uh, that that will that will you'll you'll find yourself in a bit of a pit, uh, and we're already in an, enough of a pit already uh, with maladaptive daydreaming being the way that it is. So, please do not seek out destructive behaviors. I'm not a therapist. We we have to mention this a lot. We're not we're not like therapists. We're not professionals. But I would suggest as a member of this community not to search out destructive behaviors i'm going to say it a second time <laughs> or third really um geez that, i read that and i was like man that is not that is not the way to go does does anger motivate you michael no no <laughs> no i think okay, okay. most <laughs> of the times no <laughs> anger most of the time if i'm angry at something that actually makes me want to stop doing it you know like yeah because it gets into like if i really get angry or something it's really because i don't understand the situation oh it depends on what exactly it is but usually if i'm angry at something i just want to like move away from that <laughs> and create something new or maybe look for something else what i would say so anger i i i'm, I'm i can't use it as motivation maybe experience you know like just struggling thing or maybe sadness and stuff like that i can use for like keep doing keep doing something but anger no it really because it never really well i have tried and it never gives me a good result 
if I use anger to try to do something because it's just, I feel like it's just me. Honestly, I feel like I, I do not like working with anger. You know, I'm really like, sometimes I feel like I, I can be very like diplomatic about certain things. And I just don't think anger would be the solution for certain things. I, I think it can be great if it motivates people, but for me, just it doesn't really work. What's also important to mention is there's different kinds of anger, right? Um, for instance, there's a difference between spite and vengeance. Uh, I, I guess I'll put it this way. Humans, since the beginning of time, have done a great many things and have have accomplished a great many feats in the name of spiting somebody else or spiting something else, right? But that's different from vengeance as like as like a, a as a related emotion because they have different motivations, right? You're like, for instance, spite. You're pushing yourself forward farther, faster, harder, better, stronger, um, so that you can beat something else. Oftentimes, right? And you know, there's a variety of different types of spite. Um, but in terms of, there's a difference between that and vengeance, where you are seeking to, uh, I guess, in this context, you'd be. Because I, the way I got it was, she wants you to be mad with MD, uh, and like seek vengeance upon whatever, like the the trouble, the 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 that it's caused you, right? The uh, problems that it causes you in your daily life, right? More so than spiting it. Uh, and there's a very fine line between the two, and sometimes, oftentimes, it's hard to distinguish between them. But they're they are very distinct, right? Uh, if you wish to see, like, blood begets blood, right? If you seek vengeance on MD, you often, um, the MD tends to bounce back and hurt you twice as much, right? Um, whereas your motivation, if you were to be spiteful, you would to, I guess, if you were to be spiteful, you would try to work forward and work to be better than your MD so you can beat it. Does that make sense? Am I insane, right? Does this make sense to either of you? I think I think it makes sense and that's what she's trying to do, like get you upset with the maladaptive daydreaming. But I don't think there's OK, I don't want to say that that won't work <laughs> for everyone, because I'm sure it'll work for some people. But I, what I feel is much more likely to happen, especially with me, is that it wouldn't stay there. It wouldn't stay directed at maladaptive daydreaming. It will inevitably be directed at yourself. And the only way to keep it on MD is to make MD an other, you know, otherize it, make it not a part of yourself when kind of I think what you need to do is accept, accept that it, that it is and that you can deal with it and address it. And I don't think you can do that with anger because you will either end up being angry at yourself or make MD something that is not part of yourself, mm -hmm. which it is. I agree. While you can do things in spite of yourself, it's very, very difficult and you need to be a very, very specific kind of person. Um, and it's not easy and it hurts. So I personally would suggest against doing anything out of spite. Uh, in terms of maladaptive daydreaming, or you know, like you, you like taking revenge upon yourself for being the person that you are, right? Like hating yourself simply because you have maladaptive daydreaming. Just it just sticks more daggers in your gut, and you don't need that. I mean, none of us need it really. It's just it's it hurts. Right. 
And to her credit, later in this, she she says um, something that I definitely agree with. She she goes on to say that you know what the worst thing you can do to yourself is convince yourself that you really are without passion and incapable of feeling emotions that you experience in your daydreams, which I think is like the heart of what she's trying to get to. If you can be angry, then that means you have passion for something, you're feeling something, and that's coming from you, not from the maladaptive daydreaming. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's, that's why, <laughs> that's why she's so like on anger's side because she's looking at it as like see you're feeling something that's you that's all you you can you have feelings you're not numb it's there <laughs> but i don't i just think there's a better way to do that than with anger yeah, there's a couple different emotions you could do it with but i totally ended up missing it i think it got lost in one of these longer paragraphs i might have missed it or skimmed over it in my rush to get to the next paragraph, where where would that be? Would it be under relapse, or would it be under um, breaking through the numbness? It is. Oh my gosh! It is. Oh my gosh! Flipping through the, I have a lot of pages. It's through. <laughs> it's towards the end of breaking through the numbness. Okay. It's like yeah, yeah. Because that because then that makes sense because that would cause you having feelings and and you know like any kind of well yeah having feelings would cause you to break through the numbness that you feel like you feel like you're a vessel only for your for your daydreams that does make sense okay because i was i was confused as to why it was named breaking through the numbness so i believe that that was complete miss on my part um like like i had we might have mentioned a little bit earlier um this is a little bit of a longer read for those of you out there um who are going through this and not exactly super big on reading this one can be a bit of a doozy um but it is there's quite a bit here and I, we might have, we went to the void immediately to breaking through the numbness. Is there anything else we want to say about the void? Oh my gosh. Let me, let me flip back through. I, 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 we are so bad at going through these in order. Every time I say we're going to go through top to bottom and then we never do. I'm kind of, kind of mosey around. We do. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So in numbness. No, not numbness. Oh my God. In the void. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what we were talking about before, that the numbness was already there and MD, MD was your way of dealing with it. That's really the only part in here that I made like a big note of because mm -hmm. I just I just don't think I don't think it was true. I, I really don't think it's true, at, at least not in my case. And so many people start so young, you know, the earliest daydreams I can remember, I was like five years old. And I don't think the numbness was already there. I think it was a product of the maladaptive daydreaming. So uh, all these, all these, um, all this advice and stuff that's, you know, telling you to to get back to yourself, get back to what you felt before maladaptive daydreaming. Um, there, there is no time before that. And I think my propensity for daydreaming is what led to numbness, not the other way around at all. Mm -hmm. I did make a note towards the bottom of it, uh, of the void where it says, uh, let's see, slow processed, the numbness. Wait, how do you, on... uh -huh. I was, I was going to ask Michael, like, how do you, which one do you think came first for you? The chicken or the egg? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So first, can you actually like define numbness? 
Because I, I was a bit, little, little bit confused when, when she said numbness there. Lack of, feel- lack of feeling, lack of emotion, I believe. Okay. Okay. I feel like in Maldapa Daydreaming, well, I also started Maldapa Daydreaming at a very early age. I believe I was, well, when I remember, I think I was six. Um, I really, hmm, I feel like they, no, I was, I was also a very emotional kid. And I, I don't think, I think the numbness when it comes to the emotions thing was never really there. I think that my emotions were always very involved in my mouth after daydreaming. And my emotions actually led me to the amount after daydreaming. Does that actually uh, answer the question? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Always, um, yeah, I always tend to say that when I'm, when I'm out after daydream and then daydream, um, for me, it's always, it's like the feeling is so real. Um, for me, it's very emotional oriented and it's always been, you know, that's pretty much why music is something that really gets me to me, gets me into daydreaming, TV shows. Anything that like makes me feel emotions will re- pretty much trigger my daydreamings. So the emotions come first and then the daydreams come. So you do feel, because I think what she's saying is that MDers feel like they can only experience emotion to its fullest in a daydream. They can't feel um, mm-hmm. to it. They can't feel an emotion to its fullest in real life. Um, that is interesting. Yeah, which I don't. I do think. Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say I don't disagree with that. I just don't think that it's the cause of MD. I think MD causes it. Well, I do have to say that MD um, deafs me, express my emotions sometimes even way better than I do in real life, and that the emotions are stronger when I do daydream instead of just like feeling it. You know, Especially, that's something I also have with music. I'm the kind of person that, it, like, if I listen to music, I cannot concentrate on anything else. I just really feel it, and then I start daydreaming. Um, yeah, and it, and it's totally different if I try to stop the daydream and just listen to the song. So most of the time with music, if I don't connect with the music, I cannot daydream with it. It's like I don't even see the point of listening to it anyway. <laughs> I I, I uh, sometimes I think about this where. When the plague came and went, if anybody remembers the plague, um, the 2020 plague, whatever that was called, people put on a bunch of masks. And when in, in my area, when everybody went back and it took a couple of years, but everybody went back out into the wild, um, it was difficult for people to socialize again because they had been isolated for so long. And when I saw that, even myself and nobody was unaffected, everybody was affected by it um, from the tall to the small. Uh, and like just even like normal people were completely uh, socially stunted and they had to learn to be social again and i think about that sometimes when it comes to to maladaptive daydreaming maladaptive daydreamers in general because we are so we feel so much in our, our daydreams it it keeps like as this sort of thin line between us and reality that makes it very difficult to socialize with normal people because the the social uh like how social we are in our daydreams is not what we see in reality and i feel like it's rather crushing so that it it makes it difficult to talk to people in general um and if we did talk to people it might make it a little bit easier to be social in general and by extension feel more emotions in daily life um 
I'm going to, I guess I would put it uh, this way. When I read this, like I give, I became incredibly numb as a human being. Once I got really caught up in my, you know, my, my depression and my daydreams and it just kept me farther and farther away from people in reality. So all of my social skills and all of my emotions sort of slowly drained out. So I, like I think you mentioned, Demer, is that we had emotion when we started daydreaming, but the more we daydreamed, the more it sort of drained out of us, like a, like a, like a hole in a ship, like like a leak in a ship. Uh, and now that we have this as a as like maladaptive daydreaming as a behavioral addiction, it makes it difficult to to patch. We still have that sort of hole, and it's difficult to like to fill us up with emotion again. Because every single time that you emotionally interact with someone, it's just lacking by comparison to your daydreams because you don't have that sort of foundation anymore or you you, you lack a lot of what made you a very social person in the first place, I think. Um, that's the only explanation I have for why maladaptive daydreamers are, are incredibly numb. Um, Actually, there's several, but that's one of them. That that's what I did to rationalize this sort of numbness. Do I agree with it? Eh. Eh. I don't. <laughs> there's a lot of things I disagree with when it comes to a, a her explanation of numbness in this piece. But I thought I'd at least mention that as a potential uh, solution or explanation because you had mentioned earlier, Dimmer, that we had emotion beforehand. No one's born without emotion. Uh. Maybe we are, but we learn it really early as babies. Does that make sense? I've rambled on for like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want to know. I want to know if you guys, you can go, you can go dimmer if you want. Like, no. Hmm? Um, well, I, I was just going to shill a little bit. Um, for, oh. for, a... oh, well, hold, hold on, hold on. You're going to shill for somebody else, but not us. I, I always do the show for other people. <laughs> Rachel Haynes. Rachel Haynes, she's um, a researcher. Researcher, she just did her doctorate and she did it on maladaptive daydreaming and she has like a new, uh, I, I don't know what to call it, like a, a, a new way of looking at maladaptive daydreaming anyway. Uh, you know, um, the other papers have come out about MD as a dissociative disorder or, or a behavioral addiction or, or, you know, we should look at it this way or this way. And she's proposing um, that it's an emotional growth kind of thing and i didn't i wish i had time to read the paper before like we started uh this particular episode but i, I it only came out the other day and i haven't i haven't sat down to read it so i don't know i don't even know if it's relevant to this episode but it's out there i wanted to mention it i will link it in the description fantastic Mike. that's it michael <laughs> yes i just want to know what you guys think of the part where she talks about she compares um um, to either pornography or even like different drugs to maladaptive daydreaming when she says um, people addicted to pornography usually cannot experience intimate or sexual feelings with a real person yet. Hey, it's sex they crave. A daydreamer who craves connection to something but cannot connect to anything isn't any different. I don't know if I, I agree with that because <laughs> it's like it's such a different example outside. Um, and I do believe, I th what I think she's trying to say here that she thinks, she's saying that someone who maladaptive daydreams, she's trying to say that you were never going to be able to feel though in real life, the way you, you feel when you're maladaptive daydreaming. Is that what she's saying? 
I hold on. I have to find that part. It is. Yeah, uh, that's in the void. The void. It's the second to last. Second to yeah. last. The penultimate. Penultimate. Yeah. I love that word. <laughs> it's a good word. Because <laughs> I, I agree that we are never going to feel in real life the way that we feel in our daydreams and that we shouldn't expect to and you need to accept reality on its own terms. Um, so if that's what she's saying, I kind of agree. But your this okay so later on it's not in the void it's later oh, on here we go. she talks about in relapse she talks about addiction again and um and she's like you you aren't a heavy smoker who can just give up tobacco and find another distraction md often bleeds into every possible aspect of your life blah bitty, blah bitty, blah but <laughs> i wrote a note cuz like she's in an earlier part she very explicitly said that maladaptive daydreamers aren't freaking special. We're like every other addict out there. And then I felt like in this part, she's contradicting what she said very bluntly before and being like, well, you, you can't put this down. It bleeds into every part of your life. It, you're not like other addicts. What? And it, it confused me. Yeah, because that's what I felt like. I felt like... She said before, you know, you're not special. You're just like every other addict. And now she's saying, actually, MD is different. Like, I can understand if yeah. she's like, it's it's similar yet very distinct. But they're, they're... <laughs> could have said that a little differently. It's That wording is very strange. Like, I get what she's saying where it's like, you are just another addict. But like, you aren't a heavy smoker who can give up tobacco. Oh, my Lord. Oh, hold on. Yeah, you aren't a heavy smoker who can just give up tobacco and find another distraction. <laughs> now, now, like, I, I read through this. Now I'm reading through it again, and I'm not entirely sure what she's trying to say here. That you can't just, it is in our brain, you can't just put it down and find something else to distract yourself. And I think, I think you can, but like with another addiction, like with smoking, you need to find what's making you do it to begin with because i i am a smoker i was i'm i quit a while ago and i'm still quit because um because i wanted not, to <laughs> yeah not, i don't know not, I don't not know where good I was going for you <laughs> not good for you expensive yeah because i'm trying to get pregnant like i don't want to smoke anymore so i had a good motivation to address it just like i had a good motivation to address maladaptive daydreaming and and yeah, I've had to find other distractions and other things, but you, you, even with something like smoking, like it's worth it to find the roots of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't have any, like smoking is kind of a weird thing that's doesn't always have like these obvious clear cut roots, you know, like I don't smoke because I wasn't hugged enough as a child or whatever, you know, it's nothing like that, mm -hmm. it, but you know, it just, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. I just feel like with MD, I don't think it's the same as in the older addiction. Because I feel like with MD, it's so specific and there's just like so much background to it. With older addictions, I, of course there might be like, but usually it's something like you start doing a lot of times for no reason and you just like can stop doing it later on. Yes. But with Maldafa Daydreaming, there's just like so much reason why you ended up doing that. I mean, when you start, you might not realize that it's, you're going to become addicted to it. But there's always like, 
Yeah, I feel like it's just so much more specific and it embraces way more like emotions and feelings and things that happen in your life, things you want to happen, things you wish, things that already happened. And, you know, my dad has both of the addictions when it comes to tobacco and um, uh, alcohol. And I don't, I don't, I, I, can't, I can't relate. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it's the same kind of addiction. I would say it might still be an addiction, but I feel like the way, like, I don't think MD is something that would be as easy to treat. Not that any addiction is easy to treat, but I think that MD, especially because it's still being studied and we don't have as much resources as um, we wish we have, it's very hard to, to compare it to the older addictions we already, like, like alcohol, drugs, and stuff like that, because I just don't, I don't think it's the same thing. Yeah. What are you going to say, Dimmer? No, I, I absolutely agree. I think they're very different. First of all, I think it's, um, we, we do compare MD to alcohol or smoking like a lot for a quick, easy comparison that everybody can understand, but it is not, it is not a substance, <laughs> you know, it's not a physical addiction it's a behavioral addiction and those are very different um so it's really more like i think probably the closest comparison that we could actually draw is maybe like a, a gaming disorder um or even um i i, I compare it a lot disorder. to um yeah i compare it a lot to overeating like um a food addiction because food is something you can't not eat you know, you have to, you have to fix your relationship to food, um, and find out what's making, um, you eat in a maladaptive way, shall we say, mm -hmm. um, like what, like you have to do a daydream. You can't just turn off your mind and never have a flight of fancy. That's not how the brain works. You have to fix your relationship to it. Mm -hmm. So I do think they're very different addictions and these comparisons are always going to be problematic. Um, so it's not that I disagree with her here. It's that it's the opposite of what she said before. <laughs> and I don't well, that's get what it. I was saying. I, that's what I was saying. I don't exactly get like what she's trying to say there because she said two different things, one after another that were completely, that were contradictory. You had mentioned. Um, so I didn't, I just, I tossed that out. I was like, I'm just going to leave that over there. Um, I'm trying to search through exactly. So we've gone over a bunch of the void. Um, yes, we've gone over a bunch of the. Void. I, look, I I, I know We're I sound crazy. I know I sound crazy, but I am for once. I am just. I am trying to be a. I'm trying to have a conviction to sticking with the script here. We go to the void, and then, and we have gone off track so many times. So I know that's not happening, but I'm trying here. I'm trying to go top <laughs> to bottom, as hard as I can. We we went over a bunch in the void. We went over a bunch of the anger stuff going uh, in, uh, where is it, breaking through the numbness, and we were going over a couple things in relapse. Michael, did you have anything you wanted to say before we move on? From the void? Uh, no. No, I don't think so. Okay, I'm trying to, for once, keep a structure. It's not working. <laughs> no way. <laughs> but... um, I, I gave up on that in the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> a man can dream. All right, I, relapse. Yeah, there is one part in the relapse that I, I definitely agree with. She was like, um, you know, if, if at this point you relapse and chances are very high that you will, 
Oh, well, it's actually perfectly normal. Don't spend a minute beating yourself up over it. Absolutely. Very important to say, and I'm glad she said it. Yes, it needs to be said. Uh, sometimes it needs to be said quite often. Um, when relapsing, especially from maladaptive daydreaming, when you get stuck inside your, your head quite often, you have the tendency to beat yourself up. I beat myself up a lot, uh, and a lot of other people do too. It's just, like you said, Dimmer, keep in mind that it's you're not the worst person in the world for doing so. You are in good company. Everybody does it. Yes, it's all part of the process. Mm -hmm. All part of the plan. Is there anything else in here? I didn't see anything in particular that we haven't already gone over. Is there anything else you wanted to go over that we might have skipped? No. Um, yes. No. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Right, here we go. We're going back. <laughs> we are. We're going all the way back to the beginning. Right after the intro paragraph, she asks the reader a question. And I want to ask you guys and the audience, since we're yeah. here. <laughs> Make sure to like, comment, yeah, and subscribe thanks. under our YouTube videos. Make sure to comment what you think under the YouTube videos. Yeah. MD yeah. is an... Hey. Oh, wait, what? Ah! No, no yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, she says, now a question. Is MD an attempt to run away from yourself or an attempt to finally reach yourself? God, that's a question that I'm not entirely yeah. sure. Tonight. Thank you for remembering me. Yeah, because I was actually going to ask that question to you guys. And I ended up forgetting it. So great that you said that. Um, for me, I actually agree with her when, it's, when she says it's both. Because I, I, for me, because I daydream about myself or my ideal self, um, it, it's also like I am my life. Because it's different from what I am now, but it's also kind of what I wish to be a lot of times. So when she says attempt to run away, but also attempting to reach yourself, I agree with that. I think, I think it's both, but not always. I think it depends on the person. Um, for me, it's not exa I'm not exactly running from myself, but I am attempting to uh, find an escape. More so, I was trying, you know, when I started, when I realized it was like a, like a problem, I realized that I was doing it to escape the people around me because I was in an environment that was difficult to function in. <laughs> so uh, I guess if I had to pick out of the two, which wouldn't be entirely like a one-to-one -one comparison, I think it'd be more of a way of just existing within myself and finding a way to my center. Uh, but in terms of like actually attempting to find my one true self, I guess you could say, um, over like running away from myself, I don't know if it'd be either, to be perfectly honest. It's, it was more of an environmental, it, it was more of a, um, a response to my environment. So... I don't know that that does not answer the question. I realize, <laughs> but but that's the best answer I have because that's what it is to me. Like Michael said, it's different for different people. You know, it's you know not always one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Dimmer. I, Dimmer, I you, don't know. you can't. Dimmer, you oh, no, you got to answer. You got to give more than just that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's either. She says both. I say neither because. Because I really don't feel like, for me, it started for any reason. It, it's my immersive daydreaming. I noticed it when I was very, very young, and I held on to it, 
and I liked it and I indulged in it. And as I got older, I indulged more and maybe here and there, there were reasons why I would indulge more or indulge less, but it was so core to my very being since literally as long as I have a working memory for. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that as a child that small, I was running from or towards anything. It just was. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I just, I don't know, I did it too much <laughs> and I couldn't do anything else. You know, it's really funny the way that you, you, uh, you the way you phrase that uh, and the way you, you frame that is I'm, I'm like realizing it now. It's like for, for everybody who's done it since they've been a small child, like you, like you can't like, like if you were to give a child cake, right? Like just a, like, and you not, not a piece, but like a whole cake, right? And then you're just like, go have at it. And they didn't have a limit on their stomach. They'd eat the whole cake. And then you give them another cake and they, they just eat the whole cake. If you don't have a limit to the size of your stomach, you can just keep eating, right? And that's how you would have an addiction like that come up. I didn't realize that like, as a child, like, no, well, first of all, nobody can see you doing it. So nobody knows, um, except for yourself. But as a kid, you don't know that it's like a, like a bad habit to overindulge, right? You need to be taught that. Um, yeah, exactly. It's like giving a child cake for every single meal their entire their life, but also never telling them that it's bad for them never mm. giving them any reason to think that they shouldn't be eating a cake <laughs> and, <they're laughs> you know? and especially in this metaphor in this case their body doesn't either which means they can have a near infinite amount and nobody sees them eating the cake either they just keep sticking their hand in the cookie jar and nobody catches them putting their hand in the cookie jar right yeah that's so it's it's not till you're a lot older when you have other people around and you have you know more responsibilities being put on you with school or whatever that you notice like oh shit like maybe i can't keep eating the cake bro that yeah. was a revelation i just had a revelation just now on camera <laughs> oh my god wow that's just i don't know why i didn't realize it the, like this before like didn't like recognize it or, or think of it this way before it really is just giving a kid infinite cake when they're a, like as a child and like them not needing to do anything else but eat the cake right and now as an adult all these therapists are asking the child well why did you eat that first cake what were you running away from nothing it's a fucking cake who wouldn't eat a I was cake hungry. oh my god <laughs> i was hungry yeah <laughs> yeah wouldn't you eat a cake if you were hungry man that's like saying, why do you like ice cream? Bro, man, if you don't like ice cream, I don't trust you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't it crazy how a lot of times when you're a kid, things just sound way more simple. I remember, um, and I believe I was like 12, and my mom said, why is it that you like don't forget to wash the dishes, but you always remember to eat? And I said to her, because my stomach remembers me. Yeah. Duh. Yeah, it's like <laughs> literally. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's so simple, right? But like your stomach will remind you that you need to eat something other than cake. But if there's nothing to remind you, it's like, dude, you could just go forever, right? Just like like base human desire, right? Like if you want something that makes you feel good and nothing's going to stop you, you'll just keep going for it. It's like the I don't know if you all have uh, heard of the the button test for the rat, where they hooked up a rat's uh, pleasure sensors in its brain to a button. So what the rat did is it pressed the button, got the pleasure sensor, right? And it never, they never stopped the rat. So the rat kept pressing the button and it kept making itself feel good. And they kept pressing the button until it starved to death. 
because it literally had nothing else to do. It just kept all it needed to do to make itself feel good was press the button. So it just pressed the button. And that was it. It's like the same thing. It's like until you're reminded otherwise, you could just daydream forever, right? And now that we're older, we have literally everything to remind us that we can't daydream forever. Wow. Yikes. Yikes, yikes, yikes. All right, sorry. I went on a massive tangent. I just had a revelation. I'm enlightened. You can now call me the Buddha. Feel free to uh, address me as the enlightened one. (laughs) Oh, hey, that's why we do this, right? This entire podcast is getting people on here to talk about stuff. Just, mm-hmm. just for usually for our audience. Hopefully, our audience will have these little relevant revelations along the way. But every once in a while, it happens for us too. Yeah, that was that was all right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm in the audience with you here, feeling nice and fine about learning something new today. Holy cow! You're gonna dream about cake tonight. Oh, I don't. I'm gonna wake up. I'm gonna wake up hungry. <laughs> okay, I want to bring up this part where she says. Um, Metaphorically speaking, you're stalking in a body that isn't yours. I'm not referring to your daydream characters here. I'm referring to your real self, the one you see in the mirror and think as a foreign and miserable, the same one that is plagued with depression, self-contempt, or low self-esteem, which make your self-image completely distorted. Um, and then she, she goes on talking about like how a lot of people sound what the impression I have is that a lot of people might start daydream because they don't. It's like on your daydream, you have this perfect version of yourself. And when you look yourself in the mirror, a lot of times you just don't like what you see. And I think she's trying to say that that might have been the reason why a lot of people might daydream about themselves or daydream that things are different mm-hmm. because they're just not satisfied in how she used, like people still using a daydream as a, escape mechanism i would say of reality and and that's you know i feel like that's pretty much well for my case pretty much what a lot of times led me to to daydream um not always not always but a lot of times i felt like um i think yeah, i think she was basically trying to talk about okay how my death of daydreaming a lot of times it seems that people go to because they don't like their own reality and you know you keep for me this is a big thing like there's there's daydreaming is reality and it's always uh, a big issue and i didn't realize how much of a big thing it was until i started realizing that it was kind of like making me feel bad about my own life i feel like it's just expectation a lot of times people would just say hey michael what are you doing with your life and stuff like that and, and my daydreams, it's like I was doing a lot. I felt like I was doing a lot. But a lot of times I was forced to face reality. Yeah, so she says here that your your MD isn't a protest against reality. It's a protest against this broken, distorted self. It's not you as you should have been. And um, I mean, I, I kind of... Okay, so I can see I that disagree. this... Yeah, I I agree halfway because I think that's how that is how MD makes you feel, especially when you're in the thick of it. You you are kind of detached from yourself and you come out and you you know, we know how the crash is. The crash hurts and you look in the mirror while you're in the crash and you're like, "Wow, I'm a piece of shit." Um and and you can feel that way like this isn't supposed to be me. 
I'm not supposed to be here. I think we talked about that feeling in, in one of the last episodes. And um, yeah. like, I get that. But I also want to say, like, I think, I think maybe she hadn't been, maybe she was still going through it when she wrote this. Because I feel like, at least for me, that I am beyond that now. Like, I, mm -hmm. I, for the most part, I like myself. I'm pretty confident, you know, I don't have these self-esteem issues that I might have had back then. And I still struggle with maladaptive daydreaming. Like it's not, that can probably cure some people, you know, reconciling all that, if that's the root of their issue. But I don't think that that's going to help everybody. Like I don't have that anymore. And I still have the maladaptive daydreaming. I still have the addiction, even though this is solved. That's why when I read that, I was like, this feels more like a, like a looking at the root cause. Uh, when I read through this, uh, I thought of it as she was explaining why it started. Like, you just didn't like yourself, so you're, like, hiding, which would be thematic to what she was uh, asking at the very beginning. Um rather than like looking at the crash and being like oh you know i hate myself because it's you know it's the crash right it's the daydream crash um but it, it didn't seem like that to me because you still have these issues you still have the maladaptive of daydreaming even after you you stop doing that you you, you have you you still suffer from maladaptive daydreaming and still have to deal with it even though there's way more times where you look in the mirror and you just don't feel like off, like you're awful, like the worst thing in the world, uh, etc. etc. Right? Like you will still have to deal with it even without that. There's a there's a lot of push to you know discover the underlying cause and address that, and then the problem will resolve. And I don't think that that is always the truth. And I don't think that it's the truth for me. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. You should definitely look at the underlying causes and address them. But for me, I feel like whatever made my mal whatever made my daydreaming maladaptive i am beyond that but i mm -hmm. still have the addiction mm -hmm. so like you gotta you gotta come at it from both ways it's not just going to magically resolve because you came to terms with your abuse or your loneliness or your whatever is causing it mm. still have to deal with the aftermath all the same yeah i also feel like with md um a lot of it's very related to, well, of course, it's my personal experience, but a lot of the times it's related to insecurity. Insecurity. <laughs> I don't know if I pronounced the word. In yeah, insecurity. <laughs> yeah, just being insecure or just having a lot of anxiety to do something. And at your daydream, a lot of times you just feel way more comfortable. You might be by yourself and it makes, and the feeling is just so real. Like, for example, there are things that I, I have the courage to like daydream about that I, we're probably not do doing real life. Like a lot of times if I'm listening to a song, I pretend that I have the amazing voice that the singer does. And I pretend I actually have that voice and I'm the one I'm literally on stage singing, <laughs> you know? And I know a lot of people who have the same kind of daydream. Um, and I just think it's very uh, interesting to see how a lot of times your daydreams are related to things you feel like you cannot achieve or, that you have a lot of anxiety and that you would probably be like you don't think that would be you would be good doing such thing 
or you don't. So I just feel like a lot of times it can be related to unsatisfaction on your life or something or the way you do things. Um, you know, you know, a lot of times people like that say you don't have a lot of friends. You might daydream that you do. Or a lot of times you might daydream that you're like a big influencer and that you have a bunch of like files on Instagram because a lot of people, they like daydreaming, at least for me, it goes like big, you know, it's never just little things. Um, It's, oh, if it is, then it sounds way bigger than that. Uh, Because at the end of the day, mound after daydreaming is something I usually ended up using to feel like I'm achieving um, or that idealizing how it would be if I had achieved that, you know? So I just think that's a, that's, a, that's interesting. And, and I somehow, when I read the, what you said, that MD isn't a protest against reality. It's a protest against this broken, distorted self. It, it came, came to me. Um, like just like comparing how who you are you daydreamed and who you are in real life, and I don't like when she said that you're uh, like this. The actual self of you is like broken and distorted. I think that's what she's saying here, um, because I just think that a lot of times daydreams are just like a projection of what like really into you inside of you that you feel like you cannot materialize outside, or that you feel like. Like that might still be you. It's just that like on your daydreams, it's all there and your reality it might not be. You know? So yeah, I don't I don't I don't think that you are always a different person in your daydreams and that your actual self is broken and distorted. I think that a lot of times your daydreams just reflect on the things that you wish you were. Or how you wish things were for you now. Yeah, that's, I think this is like the second time she has used the word broken to describe the MDR. And I, I agree with you. I don't think we're broken. And I don't think that that's a good way to think of yourself. Um, You know, the, you know, whatever the maladaptive daydreaming is like, Maybe it's not working as intended, but it's not a a broken part of you. You're not a broken person. Yes. I wish I had a better way to say that because I feel like there's a very big thought behind it that I'm not articulating well. Mm-hmm. There's one thing that she says at this ending paragraph that I want to know what you guys think. She says that MD numbs pain. Do you think that and after daydreaming can numb pain? I think it just it distracts you from it, but it won't it won't numb it. It will well, I mean, I guess it will numb it in the sense that you won't feel it while you're in the daydream because the daydream like blocks it out. That's what it does. It blocks it out, but it's not it's not going to take it away. It's still going to be there when you come back. Yeah. Now what she says at the end of this paragraph is um for me, it's very deep. Like she says what I just said like MD numbs pain. And he also numbs the feeling of being alive. Your dream self might be alive, but you aren't. As long as you rely on the not to fall apart. That, that the daydream ends up uh, numbing the feeling of being alive. 
that for me is such a big thing because I actually think sometimes I, I think that might be true because a lot of times I feel like I spend just so much time on the daydreams and I don't materialize them. And then a lot of times make me feel sad and it makes me feel like I'm not living my life. And I, I really, I felt like I had some type of crisis, especially when I just got to college, um, like this week, um, my first few days, because, because I couldn't daydream. I really just had this moment where I was thinking about my life and how it compares to what I usually daydream. And I wonder if a lot of times I see my adaptive daydreaming as an obstacle or something that makes it harder for me to grasp myself into the real world and achieve things because um, you just, a lot of times I might feel like I'm insecure about doing that or achieving that or just going to the path to actually achieve it. And it's way easier to just stay daydreaming about it, especially because it's so lucid that it feels real. But when you really have to like face reality and a lot of times you're focused, you're forced to focus on your like your actual reality, it can be very, very disturbing to just really like come out of the daydream and have to make it all real. And I actually wonder why um, I might have that struggle, you know? Yes, I, I agree that it will numb you to life. Um, because, yeah, I don't, well, I guess because of my own experience, because I feel like that's what it did to me. Because I'm, first of all, there for so long that I'm not participating in life. When you come back to something you haven't participated in, like, at all, you don't feel like you're a part of it. You're mm -hmm. literally rotting on your feet. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it, I remember I wrote that on the email I sent you guys. I talked about mm -hmm. like how a lot of times I felt like um, I did something that I hadn't done or that I'll be late for something. And that still happens, you know, because it, it's just like, you know, it, it just gets to a point where it ended up affecting my life. But to really see it, to really understand that it's very hard because at the moment it doesn't sound bad at all. For me, at least, I am concerned about this because I don't want to stop. But I'm realizing that this is making, it's making it hard for me to achieve certain things in my life or it's making me late for some things. You know, we mentioned a little bit earlier, like a couple of uh, a couple episodes ago where we were mentioning that a lot of people think we want to stop. No, we don't. We don't want to stop. Actually, we really want to continue. The problem is continuing is be we can't continue because it's causing us to be non-functional human beings in reality. So it's one of those we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but that's just a, re a little bit of a reiteration here. I, I can't do much more for the night. So I think, uh, is that about all we can do? Is, are we good for a uh, close, everybody? Yeah. 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 Me yeah, too. Fantastic. Yeah, I wanted is, to. It's going to be a pretty long, pretty long episode. Oh, absolutely. I wanted to um, mention before we did our outro, I wanted to thank you, Michael, for having so much to say. It is difficult to find 
uh, people who have a lot to say about maladaptive daydreaming can go for a while. So oh, yeah. I appreciate you coming on to the show. Yeah, it's it's the Mercury in the first house. The astrology nerds will get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think that's it for tonight's episode. Tonight, because we're recording at night for all of you, all of you out there in the audience. Yeah. I think that's it for yeah, today's thank you episode. So much. Absolutely. Yeah, Thanks thank for coming on, Michael. Dimmer, you yeah, want to give us the outro? That's great. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Hold on. Uh, that's <laughs> it for this episode of Parallel Lives. You can join the Discord. Check out the description for links to various stuff. Um, and like, subscribe, follow. We're on Spotify, YouTube, Google, Apple, Pocket Cast, all of them. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe, and share around every single one of our links. Gotta be the shill here, you know me. <laughs> yeah. One more, one more part to this series, and then we're gonna move on to some other topics. If you have topic ideas, you're gonna join have to come Discord. to the YouTube. Yeah, come to the join the Discord. Come join to the, the Discord. Come to the YouTube. Yeah, send us an email. Let us know. Let us know. 